we are going to get into the word today. And um, this word really comes and flows out of a few months ago, I was driving on the freeway and a car sort of pulled in in front of me and it had a number plate that looked shiny and brand new and, uh, you know, your eyes are drawn to some things. And as I looked at this number plate, it said 2020 WTF. Now, if you don't know what that acronym means, ask a younger person because it's church and I'm not allowed to say those words. But basically what it means is, wow, didn't see that coming. 2020, didn't see that coming. And uh, I laughed because I thought it was pretty funny and great commitment from the driver of that car to put that on his number plate. But secondly, it sort of resonated with some of the conversations I'd been having with a variety of different people around 2020 and people saying, man, can we just redo 2020? Like, can we just pull up stumps and cancel this year and start all over again? And uh, the more I thought about that, the more I realised, actually, no, we don't want to redo 2020 because if we redo 2020, then we undo all the things that God has done in 2020. Because how many of you know that God will often use the rain to bring new growth? Like we want in our life sunshine and rainbows, but we don't want the rain to bring the rainbow. And we actually need the rain. God will till good soil so that we can plant good seed and so he can grow a fresh harvest. And so when we look at what God has done in 2020 with a shaking and a stirring and a a changing of things, it's for his glory and for his good. So let's not redo 2020, but here's what we should do. We should reset our focus in 2020. Because sometimes when the storms hit, we get bundled all over the place and we don't know what is up and what is down. And we can easily lose our focus if we're not careful to reset our vision and our gaze. And so coming out of COVID, that's why we sat in Hebrews. Because there's no better place to go to, to reset your focus in the book of Hebrews. Which is simply proclaiming the supremacy of Christ in all things. A book that says, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that you would read. And Hebrews, the way that we approach that, uh, I like that helicopter analogy. Like if you've ever traveled or you've, you've gone somewhere, sometimes you can get those tours where you hop in a helicopter and they'll go above the city and you can sit there and they can point out all the different landmarks and show you how they all work together. But it's a bird's eye view. So we spent sort of whatever we did, nine, 10 weeks, looking at the bird's eye view of the first 12 chapters of Hebrews, saying it's all saying, it all points to Christ, it all points to Christ. But then what we really felt compelled to do now is actually to land the, land the chopper and sit in Hebrews 13 for a while and get out and to start exploring some of the buildings, you know, to start going, well, what's that mean? And what's that mean? And what's that saying? And really start to look around. Because Hebrews 13 is an incredible passage of scripture where in light of 12 chapters of explaining this glorious gospel of grace, he then just goes, and so this is what it means for you. He then says, here's the gospel. Now, bang, 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 bang. And as we look at this, what he's doing is he's saying, in light of what God has done in Christ, in light of this glorious gospel, which is true, which is real, he then says, here's some things you ought to value. Here's some principles that are important 
for the church. Here's some principles that you need to apply to your life because they will be good for you. They will go well with you. And so coming out of COVID and Hebrews, we want to dive into a series we are calling Reset as we look at what are the values that God has given the church? What are the, what are the things that are important to the church? What are the things that we value as a church? And how do we apply them in our everyday life? Is that good? So that's what the next few weeks is going to look like for us as we sit in Hebrews 13. And I'm pumped about it. I'm going to be honest with you. I cannot wait. Can I encourage you? I, can, like, I just can't encourage you enough to dive into this prayer and fasting season. If you're here for the very first time in church, do you know what? Just join us. That's the sort of church we are. You don't have to have everything together. You don't have to be impressive in your look or your words. Just join us. Let's just pray together and let's, uh, and let's fast. And fasting can look like a lot of different things. If you don't get our weekly email, I've, there's a letter that I've written us which sort of explains fasting. Adzi did a pretty good job of it in the notices, I reckon. Um, so go and grab a letter. There's one at the back. There's also a prayer calendar every day. There's a theme and there's a scripture verse just to meditate on. It could look like a billion different things for you. But join us as we pray and we seek first God's kingdom and its righteousness knowing that all things will be added to us in that space, yeah? So that's the, that's the exhortation. Hello to everyone online, by the way. I should welcome you as well. You're a part of our family. We love you. Thanks for joining us. Um, so let's get stuck into the Word. Hebrews 13. And we are going to start at verse 17 through 21 because I think as we are talking and praying about and having meetings about governance and planting and building and eldership and board members and new children's pastors, it, there's no more relevant place to start than verse 17 to 21 as we look at the values of leadership and prayer and what they mean for us. So let's do it. Hebrews 13 verse 17 says this, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. Someone say, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way, and I particularly urge you to pray for me so that I may be restored to you soon. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. The great shepherd of the sheep is Christ. He's the leader. Equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Really interesting as we start today and I read that verse, I'm very aware of the fact that when I stand up here as a leader in this church and say, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, it's a little bit like Julia Roberts standing before Hugh Grant in Notting Hill being like, I'm just a girl talking to a boy, asking him to love her, you know? <laughs> I love that movie. Anyway, <laughs> I'll just be honest, I love that movie. It's a great movie. Any, yeah, amen, sister. So... I get that. I get that it can look like that. But do you know what? And, and I know, and some of you may have even been in churches where this has just been 
preached that way. You know, when someone comes up and says, I'm the leader, therefore submit and obey, right? And it's easy to take this passage out of context and turn it into that, but that's not what this passage is about. Can I just make that really clear? We're going to look at this in a minute. That's not what this passage is about. This passage is saying, yes, leaders are important. All right, and we're going to value leaders. Leadership is God-ordained. Like, look at Romans 13. You can't deny leadership is God-ordained. God appoints leaders. God anoints leaders. He institutes leaders for a particular purpose in particular seasons. Yes, all of that is true. But the truth is that every leader must walk with a profound sense and understanding that with the mantle comes a mandate. And that mandate is a very simple mandate, but it is incredibly profound, is that we are not called to a crown, we are called to a cross. Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And so the mandate that every leader carries, and when we read this passage in light of that mandate and that truth and that revelation, is that you submit to a leader who is submitted to the Lordship of Christ. And if the leader is not submitted to the Lordship of Christ, then this takes on a very different connotation. We are called to a cross. We are called to serve. And so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to have a look at this in some detail. We're going to look at the purpose of leadership because that's what I think this text is talking about. It's giving a really profound message into the purpose and the nature of leadership and then it speaks into the response. So that's what we're going to do. The purpose, the nature and we'll land on the response and we'll take some time there. Is that all right? You with me? Good. So what's the aim of leadership? When we look at this text, what is the purpose of of biblical leadership. And as we see this, I want to I want to focus on something here. Is it says from the end of verse 17, do this was talked about have confidence, submit because they keep watch. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So therefore, if a leader is not functioning as the leader is supposed to be functioning, it has no benefit for the people whom which the leader is leading. This is what it's saying. The purpose of leadership is for the benefit of the people. God would appoint a leader for the benefit of the people that person is leading. But what's the benefit? You say, fantastic, what's the benefit? What is the reason there's leadership? Is it so that I can have seven steps to success? Yeah? Is it so that I can have my five steps to financial freedom? Is it so that I can have my 10 steps to raising, you know, successful kids? Like, what's the benefit? Why do we submit to biblical leadership? What are we hoping to attain from it? And what we've already seen and what we've already learned is that the benefit has to do with the human soul. This word, I'm going to... This, this phrase here in the Greek reads like this, agrupneo huper humon suke. Agrupneo huper humon suke. Some of Bailey just looked at me like this and goes, hmm? what it literally translates to is watch for your soul. So the responsibility of a leader is to watch over the soul of those whom they're leading for their benefit. 
What are you saying, Dave? Here's what I'm saying. We've already preached into this that the greatest need of the soul is what? What's the soul's craving? The soul is craving intimacy with God. The soul is craving the reconnection that we were created for in the garden. God made us for intimacy. God made us for relationship with him. And what we see is that that relationship was ruined at a tree. But that relationship has now been also restored at a different tree, the cross. And so in Christ, what was ruined here has been restored here. And the purpose of leadership is that the people might step into that profound revelation and profound truth and encounter and experience the benefit, the profit of my soul being restored to the living God. And so God appoints leaders that we might walk in the profit of the gospel. That's it. That's the primary purpose of leadership in the church is that people would know that they are loved, that they are saved, that they are blessed, that they are walking in the fullness of the promise of the finished work of God on the cross in Christ Jesus, and that he has sent his spirit to empower his people to walk in that faith to the very end. So my job as a Christian leader is to exhort and encourage and equip you in the gospel that you might persevere in faith. Persevere in faith and grow in the knowledge of what God has done. My job as a Christian leader, shame on me if it is ever about anything more than that. If it is about me wanting to line my pockets it would not really make any money here, but you know what I'm saying? Like some that's happening in churches. Where it's all like if, it, if it's about growing a crowd or an audience, that is nonsense. The purpose of leadership is to lead people into the revelation of relationship with God, bought by Christ on a cross and empowered by His Spirit to live it out. That is the purpose of Christian leadership. Let me put it in one word salvation. <laughs> to walk in salvation to walk in the empowered reality of what God has done. I love Hebrews 10. We preached it a couple of weeks ago, but you have need of endurance. My job, leader's job within this church, if you're leading uh, any Christian organization, right, even if you're a Christian and you're leading in a non-Christian organization, it's still your mantle that you carry as a leader is to encourage people in endurance that having done the will of God, they might inherit the promise which is rest, eternal, glorious, wonderful, relational rest that my soul craves. An end to striving and peace with God for all eternity. That's the purpose of Christian leadership. Now, what's the nature of that leadership? What does that leadership therefore look like? Leo Zhu, I think is how you say his name, says this. A leader is best when people barely know he exists. Now, he's not writing with gender-friendly language, so you can put your she or your he. But he says he. He exists. Not so good when people obey and acclaim him. Worse when they despise him. But of a good leader who talks little when his work is done, his aim fulfilled, they will say we did it ourselves. That reminds me a lot of Philippians 2. Anyone else? What do we see in Philippians 2? 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Wow. I almost got emotional about this when I was writing this the other day because I started thinking about Paul, this great leader who wrote most of, you know, a third of the New Testament. And what does he say? Very boldly, he says, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. That's the nature of Christian leadership. It's the following of Jesus. It's not follow me. It's follow me as I follow Christ. If I'm following Christ, come. If I'm not following Christ, run. If I'm following Christ, come. If I'm not following Christ, run. That's the call. That's the nature of Christian leadership. And I want to show you just a couple of things. Here's why. Here's why. If we go through this, verse 17, have confidence in your leaders, submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. First thing we need to grasp here, a Christian leader, leadership, this mantle is serious because you have to give an account. If you are a leader, you are leading with great humility and great reverence and great awe because you're giving an account to God. Just yesterday, our worship team had a training day in here and I came along and I had the the privilege of looking after the kids on the playground so that these guys could speak and everyone could listen. And one of those cherubs was little Reuben. You know Marcus, those of you who know Marcus and Hannah, he's got little Reuben, I think he's like one and a half. And that kid's got some wheels, folks. Like my kids are out there doing their thing. There's other kids running around there. But there's Reuben, little one and a half year old Reuben. And Marcus very reluctantly handed him over to me. And I was like, I got him, bro. We went out there, the oval's covered in mud. And he just takes off doing the little kid run that, you know, where the, the legs are out in front of the head and you're like, oh, you're going to fall over. I was charged with this duty to keep watch of Reuben. But here's the thing. I did not let him get more than an arm's width away. He's trying to climb up the plate, like he's climbing up the chain net thing. He's like wanting to go down the slipper dip. He's just leaning over the gap. Like the whole time I'm here just right next to him. Why? Because he's not mine. My kids are hanging on the bars on their legs, spinning around. Woo, life's great. Reuben's not mine. And because he's not mine, it means I have to give an account of what happens to him. If he comes in here with a chipped tooth and blood pouring out of his face, Marcus would probably give me a hug and a gentle scratch and say, there, there. But no one wants to be on the end of a mother's scorn. Are you with me? I've got to give an account for who he, like what he looks like when he comes back to his mum and dad. 
That's the same with Christian leadership. That's the same with if you are in leadership in any way, shape or form, you must give an account. Those people whom you are leading, they are not yours, they're his. And we've got to bring them before a holy God and give an account for their soul. To say, God's saying, I've given you a responsibility to keep watch on this soul. What did you do with it? And friends, that frightens me. It terrifies me. And it should. It's not a responsibility that anyone should take lightly. If you are a leader, do not take it lightly. For you are giving an account to a holy God. And friends, in that context, in that posture, there is no place for pride. There is no place for boasting. There is no place for arrogance. There is no place for selfish ambition or vain conceit. All there is is humility as we tremble before a holy God saying, I am a human, I am prone to folly. You know, James 3 says, not many of you should teach for those who teach are judged more harshly. And then it goes on and talks about how the tongue is a source of all evil. He's basically saying, you need Jesus if you're going to lead, is what Hebrews 3 and 4 is, uh, James 3 and 4 is saying. We should have reverence and saying, God, help me. For I am a man of unclean lips. How can I possibly lead these people? No, like Moses, how can I do it? And the promise is, though, that in that posture, God goes before us. And so because of that, there is a second part of leadership, and that is that we lead with great joy. In the midst of reverence and humility and awe, God, there's great joy. Because in that posture, God's going before us. And how good it is. And I was talking to Ethan Fleming about this the other day with the young adults. How good it is when you get to see the light go, like when you start to see people growing and catching this revelation of this benefit the gospel is. And we catch this, we're like, oh, it's the best thing in the world. Because people are coming alive. They're coming alive to what they were created for. There's no greater joy than that, friends than seeing someone come alive, than having a chance to pray with someone and having them go, oh, it's just what I need. Like, of course it's what you needed. It's the gospel. It's the greatest. There's such joy. And so this is why he exhorts us in this text. He says, in following leaders, in, in submitting to leaders, do it with joy so that their work would be a joy. Because if a leader has no joy, then it's of no benefit to you, is what this is saying. If a leader has no joy, then it won't benefit your soul. And of course it doesn't. If I got up here every Sunday and was just grumpy and groaning and had no joy in the gospel, why would anyone want to follow it? You know, if you go, tell me about Jesus, that why Jesus question, I'm like, oh, I don't know, he's all right. What are you going to say? Oh, fine. I'll go and follow that bloke over there who's really keen on the Indiana Pacers because he's pumped. Or well, that guy loves Port Adelaide. 
Because he's pumped. If it's the gospel is the greatest thing. It's the gift to humanity. And so if you're leading in any space that's gospel orientated, there should be great joy in your heart as you consider the things of God. It doesn't mean it's not difficult from time to time. It doesn't mean that it's not challenging. It doesn't mean there's not seasons where it feels like it's a grind. We're going through a season right now with our property stuff where I feel like I'm walking through mud that's this high. Isn't that right, Glenn? We're sort of just slowly but surely. But there's joy because God is good. And he's worth every moment because he's given everything for us. So a leader must lead with joy. And therefore, we lead with what I would call joyful humility. We lead with joyful humility. And it's in joyful humility that we can lead people to the cross. And it's in that space that we invite people to respond. And so how are we to respond to this kind of leadership? to this kind of leadership, to the Christ-following, reverent, joyful leadership. How do we respond? The text says, have confidence in it and submit to it. But here's what I want you to truly grasp. Go to verse 18. Pray for us. Someone say pray. Someone say for. Someone say us. Pray for us. That is how we should respond to leadership. Pray for us. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your leaders. When I first started out in leadership, back when I was teaching, someone came up to me and they said, Dave, doesn't matter what you do in this role, 10% of people are going to love you, 10% of people are going to hate you, and 80% of people won't give a damn. I was like, thanks for the pep talk, champion. Really motivating and inspiring. The point he was trying to make, though, was that there's really three mistakes that we make in the way that we respond to leaders. The first mistake we make is that we over-exalt. You know, we want to honour our leaders, but what we end up doing is almost worshipping our leaders. We put them on a pedestal. We make so much of them and we expect so much of them. We're setting them up to fail. Because guess what? Leaders are people. Leaders are not your priest. We're your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what a leader is. A leader is a brother and sister who's been appointed by God for the purpose of exhorting you in the gospel for the benefit of your soul. So see them that way. Don't over-exalt a leader because they'll let you down. And when the leader who you've exalted lets you down, everything crumbles. See him in the right light. Secondly, don't over-criticize that's the other mistake we make. And to be honest, we're super blessed in this church because we don't really encounter a whole lot of that. But I've got a lot of friends in a lot of churches right now who when I catch up with them, they are weary and heavy laden because everything they're doing is met through squinty eyes. Suspicion at every turn. I just feel for them so much because these, they're not being allowed to lead with joy. Don't hyper-criticize leaders, like love leaders. Don't over-exalt, but don't over-criticize. Recognize their people. They're going to make mistakes, so exhort them. 
Encourage them. Build them up. Don't be afraid to have a hard conversation if you disagree. That's important. But don't come at you. And if you're watching online and you're someone at a different church, stop it. Seriously, love your leader. Look after your leader. And that brings us to the third point, which is people who just don't care. Can I encourage you to care? (laughs) Like if God has appointed someone in leadership in your space, whether it be work, whether it be school, whether it be church, I don't know, wherever it is, but actually care. Like care enough. Recognize God's put them there, so I might as well invest in them. I might as well get to know them. I might as well think about them from time to time. And here's how it's done. Pray for us. What's the response? If we're not going to over-exalt, if we're not going to over-criticize, if we are going to care, the simple answer is pray. Just pray for your leaders. Pray. We should be praying for Scott Morrison. We should be praying for Stephen Marshall. We should be praying for that Andrews bloke in Victoria. We actually should. We should be praying for our leaders at every possible opportunity because here's what prayer does. Prayer stops the over-exaltation because you're praying to a holy God who is so much greater. And prayer stops the critical spirit because what you're doing is you're praying for blessing in their life because when the leader's blessed, that blessing overflows into your life. So if someone in your business or your work environment is giving you a hard time as a leader, instead of complaining about them, pray for them. Because I promise you, when that leader starts walking in the fullness of the promise and the blessing of God, you're going to rock up to work and you'll be like, whoa, something's different. You just made my life easy because you got blessed. So pray for your leader. And if you just don't care, pray for them actually causes you to care. Because you're upholding them to a holy God. Pray. Prayer is everything. Prayer is vital. Prayer is the most valuable gift that we have. Pray, pray, pray. And that's where we come to Philippians 4, which really is the key text that we're sitting in for this whole 40 days. And Philippians 4 from verse 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. That means in times of trial, they're still rejoicing because we're rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't stress out about everything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, what should you do? With thanksgiving, present those requests to God. Present them to God. And the peace of God, when you do that, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. So finally, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And in that space, when you look at your leader, whatever you have learned or received from them or seen in them, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Friends, it's a call to prayer. It's a call to prayer. That's why we're doing 40 days of prayer and fasting. Please pray for me. Please. Please pray for Mark. Please pray for Robin. Please pray for the leaders of our teams. Please pray 
for us as we are praying for you and seeking his will. And if you see us not following Christ, come and correct us in love. Yeah? I'm going to invite the band up, but I want to close with this one thought which has struck me this week around this stuff as I've been sitting with it, around the nature of prayer. Because really what prayer is, prayer is this idea, you know, the scripture talks about take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. That's what prayer is. In whatever thoughts we have, as we pray, we're taking captive those thoughts and we're subjecting them to Christ. But when we, when we have something on our mind, whatever that is, if, we, if we're choosing to grumble, gossip, complain, whatever it might be, what we're actually doing is the opposite of that. What we're doing is actually subjecting ourselves to the words of the enemy. We're actually subjecting ourselves to the issue instead of subjecting those thoughts to Christ. And if we subject ourselves to the concern, what happens is anxiety grows and there is no breakthrough. But when we bring all those thoughts, we take them captive to Christ, we recognize his lordship, we invite him into that space and we trust him to do what only he can do. So it's a call to prayer. So here's what we're going to do. And this is going to be awkward for some of you. I'm appreciating that. And we've done it on occasion in this church. And if you're someone who doesn't feel comfortable with this, that's okay. We'll do big groups and you can sit quietly. But what I'm going to invite you to do right now is to respond to this in prayer. And I'll invite you just to sit in groups and take a moment to pray. Pray over this church. Pray over the situations that you have in your own life. Pray over your work setting. Pray over your school setting. Pray over your business setting. Pray over whatever it is that the Lord's laying on your heart right now. Let's take a moment to be obedient and to pray. And like I said, if you're someone who doesn't love praying out loud, that's fine. Just sit quietly. It's okay. Like this isn't a place where it's about, oh, you have to be hyper-spiritual and get that on. Like, no, that's not what we're on about. It's just about exhorting each other in prayer. Brothers and sisters coming before a holy God to pray. Yeah? So I want to invite you into that space for a moment and just move the chairs, get in a group. Let's take a moment to pray for each other. The band will play and I'll call us back and then we'll close in worship. Sound all right? It's all right? Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. Get in a big group if you want to get in a big group. And we'll take a moment to pray together. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.